Yo, and hello. Welcome to an exciting episode of I Have a Podcast, the podcast that I get to collect these awesome tidbits of information, sound bites of conversations that I have with really super fascinating people. And today I have literally like my brother in media with me, and I'm so excited to, to share this space with him. Uh, what's up, Caduce? What's up, my brother from another mother? My mom does say hello, first and foremost. Like, there's always the check-in, you know. Yes. You are family to me. How are you? Oh, so well. Yeah, I feel the same way about you. I mean, the fact is we started our careers together. And we've managed we to stay in touch and continue to encourage each other. So it's special. I'm, I'm super grateful for you. I used to get mad when people would go, it's show business, not show friends. And I'm like, no, it's more like show family. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that kind of how, isn't it that how, isn't that who runs the show businesses, show family? So like, ideally, you got to fam up. I'm so lucky I fammed up with you early on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about our time at MTV, like my college, that's when I would have been in college. So I look at you like a fraternity brother. <laughs> I love that. I, it's funny to think of MTV as a continuation of college because when I went to college, I did like, student government and choir tour during spring break. And then when I got to MTV, I did spring break, spring break, <laughs> like yeah. real. I oh, caught wow. up. I was like, oh, that's what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. There's nothing like MTV spring break. I still have some photos in a shoebox somewhere and all the dancing girls everywhere. DJ Scribble. You know? <laughs> yep. I love that man. Sean Paul, what he had. Perfect locks to those, just really classic stuff. You know, I'll tell you what, Ananda Lewis taught me at Spring Break 1999 that wardrobe needs to bring denim for the women. And I always, <laughs> always insisted on that. Now, I have nothing to do with wardrobe, but I just would like push that note every once in a while. Yeah. Ananda very, did a very lot glad of I did that. Yeah. yeah I'll never forget Ananda gave me some great advice when I first started because I asked her, I said, listen, I'm, I'm new at this. I'm, I'm not even going to act like I know what I'm doing. Uh, what kind of advice can you give me? And, and she goes, you know, most important thing I could tell you is to know the power of saying no. And it took me years to actually understand that. <laughs> yeah. That took my breath away because I'm like, she never told me that. <laughs> I listened to her. She could have saved me years. <laughs> advice envy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing I about advice, her. it's interesting because we're, we're about to go in and talk about all sorts of insights about how to create content. And I'm sure the people listening right now are going to absorb every bit of it, retain every bit of it, apply every bit of it. But I think what I've learned in human development is that most people need to learn the hard way. So it almost doesn't matter what advice we get sometimes. It's like we need to bump yeah. our head until we finally get it. And so, yeah, with Ananda's advice, I look at when I actually took that to heart and understood it. And it's when I didn't say no and realized after saying yes that I should have said no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know yeah yeah so there's there's a lot to be said about advice and and also how we actually run with it and what we make of it but to your point i love that about advice and i sort of always looked at advice that i've either sought out or just received and i've always sort of seen it the same way as like oh maybe like next time at bat i'll try like hitting it this way and see if they're right because you have to keep at those at bats though Yes. Like you have to keep putting yourself in a situation where you can keep testing. Because most of the time people giving advice are projecting because it's what they experience and what helped them get through that experience. Not necessarily because it's an absolute truth and it's going to apply in our situation because it might be distinct. So there's a lot to navigate with advice. I think Advice is a really tricky thing. Can you think about this? Like if advice was actually the most effective way to educate, we would be in a different world because we, we're in a world now where there's so much advice on YouTube. 
why would anybody falter if that's the case? If advice was the best way to convey a learning, <laughs> we'd be in a different yeah. world. Caduce has mastered the fine line of marketing and storytelling. And when you know how to command the time and the attention from your audience, when you know how to get your audience to show up, to pay attention, to care, to create community all at the same time and sync together live, I can't think of a more powerful skill set tool to have as a storyteller and a communicator. And it is so cool to see how Caduce has evolved this skill set. Clearly, working on Total Request Live calls on you to rely on many different resources outside of your traditional skills and tools because of the inherent creative challenges of being on a live daily show. Creating that much output on a daily basis certainly requires a team of people, and teamwork is one of the things I learned most while at MTV. Yeah, like we're not storytellers, we're story makers and doers, and we're making it as we're doing it, uh, and, and we're also story amplifiers, so we're even amplifying things before the stories are even finished. Well, and that's a great point, because how does that influence the storytelling? So if we are already thinking about the amplification of a story, are we going to be actually honest in our storytelling? Right. Are we, are we thinking like marketers and wanting to skew the story in order to have a headline that's going to work in the marketplace and blah, 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 down the rabbit hole we go. And then we're not even telling the truth, right? That's <laughs> like yeah. one of the things I see a lot. It's like, oh, stop thinking about the marketing. Let's just stay in the moment. Oh. When is the right time to think about the marketing? Oh, I mean, I, I say that, but I'm also very much a marketing <laughs> mind. You know what I mean? It's like I'm, starting with the end in mind is a good idea. But if, yep. it, if it skews the truth, that's when it becomes problematic. I definitely think about the point of what I'm sharing and why I would share a story before I launch into the story. Uh, but does that mean that it's going to affect the, the how we get there? I think that's one of the benefits of defining your audience. And, mm -hmm. and maybe it's not understanding who your audience is. Maybe it's understanding who you want your audience to be. Yes. If you're, if you're lucky enough to know who your audience, if you're listening to this, right, and you're lucky enough to know or feel like you know who your audience is, then I think the next question is, who, well, who do you want them to be? And when you can really fine tune into the that point of view of that one specific person, your story doesn't change. How did you land on your ideal audience? How did you get that? I think if I can build um, a community around me, people who um, who I know that I can empower, mm -hmm. and in empowering them, they somehow inadvertently affect my lifestyle and my. It comes back to me in the form of just energy. Yeah. You know, so it sounds like what you do is you're looking at the intersection of of the people who would actually look at your resume and resonate based on their viewing back in the day of that resume and then looking at how you can serve them to then amplify whatever they're doing. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah sense. I think so. It's honestly, if I can invite someone to be into my family yeah. <laughs> and you were super talented and creative and passionate and, and had motive beyond ego, mm. you know, mm -hmm. um, and I can invite you into my family. That's so smart. I think that's the smartest way to go about content creation because truly I made the mistake at certain points in my career of not thinking about that. And it becomes this really broad stroke thing where I'm trying to be everything to everyone at the same time. And it, it's a lack of intimacy in the way that I communicate in those moments versus knowing this person saw me on TRL. Now I'm in a position to empower them to find their voice. Boom, go. It's a totally different ballgame.
It's like it's yeah. like having a target versus not. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think you more so than me, you and the viewer were actually there at the same time in the room. Well, I'll say this, though, because I do think that people behind the scenes like you have never gotten nearly enough credit for the influence that you have on what ends up on the air. Because I would have been able to do my job had you not been the support system for me. And that's just the way it goes. And you don't get on camera as much as me, you best believe the whole team, whether it's wardrobe, whether it's the producers, everyone's setting me up to look good. But it's, it's truly like that Tom Brady thing that he does at the end of every game when he gets asked, hey, so how did you win the game, Tom? Well, I got a great team. I mean, it's not just the cliche thing to say. Yeah. It's the truth. I appreciate that. It's the truth. And did you always know that that team was there to support you from Big Echo? That's a great question. I think that for me, I really did have a bit of a Lone Ranger complex and almost no matter what kind of support I was receiving. I mean, there's a lot of stuff from my childhood that I've unpacked over the years that really played itself out in a major way at MTV, actually. That was like where all the ish hit the fan for me the first summer. You know, I had a hard time sleeping. I had so much performance anxiety and there's all sorts of stuff underneath that stack. Uh, but yeah, I think it took me a while to really get to the point where I was present and gotten over my trauma and you know, predispositions and limited beliefs to actually be able to say, oh, wow, like this person is actually in my corner and they're not just you know, waiting for the shoe to drop or, you know, try to see that imposter that I am, you know, because I had imposter syndrome up the wazoo. Sometimes the most important moments in life are the breakdowns because they're also the breakthroughs. Being true to yourself, connecting with the right people and forming long lasting relationships is really only something you can do when you learn how to grow roots. So when is it the right time? When is it the right time to grow roots? When is it the right time to go and find a place to grow roots? Where do you belong? What if you belong somewhere else? How do you know you're going in the right direction? How can you know? I have a mentor that I worked with for the past 10 years and she said to me, you know, whenever you wonder if you belong somewhere, just look down and see where your feet are. Based on results, you belong in that room. So find your feet is what you'd always say. Find your feet. I mean, MTV at that time was uh, finding your footing. I can imagine being is tough. Oh my God. When, when that vehicle is moving as fast. Is there anything you could have done to better prepare for that moment? I just got chills. It's one of those things that I don't have regrets about because I, I remember having this analysis thinking, God, should I have had my brother with me on sex? That was from Canada. And I really hadn't ever watched MTV. I came down to a new country all of a sudden going from middle class, barely middle class, to all of a sudden being in the middle of the pop culture zeitgeist at the moment. And I felt like maybe if I had my brother there as an anchor, things would have been different. But now, as I've seen the 10,000 foot view and where I'm at, what I'm doing now, what I feel most passionate about now, I wouldn't be the coach that I am had I not had that struggle back then. I wouldn't feel passionately about what I'm doing because there wouldn't be that origin moment where I had to break down in order to find a level of passion. And the way I advocate for people now is as a direct result of that. So the breakdown really has turned into the breakthrough. So I really think that when I look back at it, I don't have any regrets. And this is the first time I'm actually saying that. And so it feels really good to, to account for that. You know, breaking down backstage at MTV is the most embarrassing freaking thing. Like no, no broadcaster ever wants to be in a situation where colleagues are looking at them like having just fainted at the beach house in Key West? What? You mean you're not drunk having the best time of your life? What's wrong with you? You know, like, 
So it's been an interesting path and it's mine. It's like a very beautiful thing when I look at it now, but that's the thing. That's the game I think we all get to play is looking at our story, looking at what's happened and making something of it. You know, it's all about storytelling. Again, like this is, is why I think storytelling ultimately is a superpower. The internal stories we tell ourselves, how we navigate those, what we curate, what we latch on meaning to, and then the ones we tell the world and both are important. Well, yeah, it's also funny what we as storytellers to ourselves decide to listen to and what we decide not to. Totally. Like, like advice. I don't listen to advice, but a, a bad story about me. Oh, tell me more. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, to validate whatever kind of core belief we have about ourselves. And yeah. ultimately, we want to be right, even if it's at our worst kind of uh, spin. So it's it's really dynamic, man. And, that, and that's why I love doing what I do and, and, and working with people intimately. And you, you can relate to this, I'm sure, because you've gotten in so many conversations with people that don't open up to other people. We're doulas for the people that have the biggest voices in the world, you know? Yeah, I like that. Doer doulas. And I think everybody on a certain level has that role to play. Like even as a listener in a conversation, we can be the space for that person to unfold and to, to really reveal themselves and experience themselves being heard and seen and honored and celebrated. And, and you said in the breakdowns comes the breakthrough? Breakdowns can lead to breakthroughs. I think, oh, yeah. unfortunately, and I won't say this is an absolute truth, but unfortunately, most people need to experience a breakdown in order to be humbled enough and open enough to receive a breakthrough. And unfortunately, that equation plays itself out more often yeah. than not. But that's the thing. And that's the thing that's really comforting is that when I'm in a breakdown now, now I know it's like clockwork. If I can just own my side of the street here, see the gold, see the lesson here, I will emerge stronger. You know, there's that cliche, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. And I truly believe that. I mean, I've been through some stuff lately and I, I didn't see the redemption in it when I was in it. But now looking back at it, I say, oh, wow, yeah. Now I have an empathy that's humongous. I could talk to someone about a divorce and look at them with such compassion. And that will elicit a different relationship than it would have four years ago. What is something that an experience or a conversation you had while at MTV that resonates just as you continue to work with people in a coaching? Is there a conversation that you had with a talent or an executive? Well, the one that comes up for me is with Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest. And it was when I first started and I was at some party, ended up hanging out with Q-Tip, my hero from growing up. And of course, I uh, was a shameless uh, solicitor of advice from Q-Tip. And I asked him what, what kind of insight you might have for me. And he said, the most important thing is keeping your integrity intact. No matter what your wardrobe stylist might want to put you in on any given day, no matter what your producer might want you to say on any given day, you've got to have your integrity intact. Otherwise, you're going to just start chipping away, chipping away who you really are until you won't even recognize yourself. I'll never forget that. I literally got chills when you said that to me. And it played out. It truly did. Like the moments when I was in integrity, it's a different caduce that showed up. So that, that was huge. You had some awesome wardrobe talent work with you who are killing it. We worked with some top of the line people too. So yeah. We were part of a really special moment. And I, I haven't seen a moment like that in pop culture since. I mean, they tried to revive TRL. You know, 106 and Park did a good job, I thought, of, of, of doing something like what we did at TRL. And yeah. they did really well. I mean, at a certain point, their ratings were higher than us. So you could argue that they actually ended up taking our wave and making it even bigger. Uh, but since then, I don't know if there's been a show quite like that. You know, it was like American Bandstand back in the day and then yeah. TRL and what now, I don't know. 
I guess a show YouTube. or a platform. platform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just going to say is really is, is where it turns into is it, it turns from the show into the YouTube. One of my first conversations too was with Funkmaster Flex, uh. and Flex said to me, "You know, Vin, you're you're never going to forget your first." The first like casting, the first producer, your first hit show, mm -hmm. your first plaque. So he's like, so I have to be the first person to ever give you a plaque so that you'll never forget me. I'm like, Flex, are you kidding me? How can I ever forget you? You're like the sweetest <laughs> guy. And I literally know like four people and you're one of four people that I know. Like, we're fine. <laughs> there isn't a day of my life that I am not so grateful for that conversation because it not only drove me to A, work really hard to get multiple Funkmaster Flex Platinum Blacks, yes. um, which are like ba badges of honor, as you know, from back in the days of, of at MTV. Yeah. Um, it drove me to really want to be the first. I was lucky to be positioned at MTV where I was in the late 90s, mm. but it didn't position me to be first. I had to position myself and, you know, I had to jump into that spot. And also it's the risk too, right? Because to, to be an early adopter on something means to potentially fall on your face and not be right about the intuition that you might have had. And then the upside is huge because then, yeah, if you get to be the person that called it first, you're a visionary. But that, that's true. The, the whole spectrum is what's possible. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I Actually, as you're saying that, it's really making me think about my experience right now in Clubhouse where mm. I'm feeling empowered in my voice and it's the first time I've ever really used my voice as a tool. Mm. I've used artwork and I've used opportunity and castings and you know, hirings and things like that to put content out there. But relying on my voice is something that for 20 years I've learned um, not to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I was pro programmed to edit my voice out of every casting tape, out of every sizzle so that the subject can speak for itself. Yeah. So it's a breakthrough right now that you're, you're doing this podcast. I think it's so amazing. But you know, that's the thing. It's powerful because now we do live in a day and age where it's it's been flattened, right? It's It's this whole democratization of media, which is incredible because everyone has an access point to have a voice and anyone could end up being a huge star on Clubhouse. I mean, I have a friend of mine who wasn't really doing so, so well on Instagram. And then now she's blown up on Clubhouse. I just saw her holding court for hundreds of people on Clubhouse. I do think that we're in a really special time in media where there is a platform for everyone, truly. Yeah, it's kind of funny as you're saying that I'm like, like the clubhouse is kind of like the voice mm. meets like MySpace. <laughs> it's like we don't know who's singing, but we're just judging by what we're getting in the moment right now. We don't know. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, it is a little bit like a game of whack-a-mole trying to see like who the hell's talking here. Okay. Oh, that person. Like, do, I wanna, <laughs> do I want to hit the button? <laughs> what would Kelly do? <laughs> Well, I'm so happy that you're getting into Clubhouse because I do think, you know, you really do have a great personality, great insights, a lot of gifts to give. So the fact that you're on there is a, an amazing thing. I appreciate that. It's fun to bump into people, though. I love that it's connected to my phone and that I'm old enough that all of my casting notes are stored as literally contacts in my address book. If you've auditioned for me, if we've worked together, if I worked for you, you're in my address book. When you subscribe <laughs> to Clubhouse, I will get notified. I'm so excited to reconnect with people, yeah. especially from oh. this last year of oh, the yeah. pandemic. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing I wonder about with Clubhouse is it, obviously the timing is impeccable for this thing to be out. I wonder, though, when the pandemic is all together over, everybody's vaccinated, everybody's hanging out again, whether it'll have the same kind of traction because we'll be able to hang out in person and not necessarily be relegated to an app. I guess that asks the question is how much value is that app really adding to us? Mm -hmm. Is that something that we're only finding as beneficial in a time where we're challenged in other areas? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Or does it open up a whole new way of communicating? And like, you remember 
20 years ago when like you couldn't text no, I'm not going to dinner with you on a text. Yeah, I think the clubhouse has got a lot of stickiness in the way that people are engaging on there and, and adding a lot of value. Any given room that I pop into, it's either I'm going to get a whole heck of a lot of insight or I might have just a fun conversation that feels really intimate and connected. And I love that about clubhouse. I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan. That kind of goes to the beginning of this conversation where we started talking about if you're thinking about the distribution of your content and the marketing of your content while you're mm -hmm. having the conversation, really trying to tap into these like authentic moments where you can be present mm -hmm. where you it's not want to be present but you allow yourself to be present so you can get something out of it so you get to mtv your first summer in key west you literally have to catch your breath so after you got to mtv after say your first year or so what, mm -hmm. what did you put in place to make sure you were strong enough what did you have in place to help you stay focused having stamina and well i want to say faith <laughs> Had a lot really? of faith, yeah, because given the fact that I had that breakdown my first summer at MTV, but I still got the job, you know, there was definitely an opportunity for MTV to say, okay, thanks for coming out. We're sorry it wasn't a fit, but they actually extended my contract, gave me a proper deal. And so that really gave me a lot of faith that almost no matter what, I'm meant to do this. And so that was a really powerful thing. And the fact that I still got the job. Is, is remarkable by the end of the summer. So that's, that's a definitely big piece of it. And, and then the faith is, is really linked also closely to the purpose. So the purpose being way bigger than any discomfort that came up for me, the fact that I was there to facilitate great voices having more impact was constantly a part of my inner thought. I beat so many odds. I was a Canadian kid who hadn't really gotten any hookups through my family, any like privilege that got me. If anybody had asked me at that point, hey, you're gonna you're gonna be on MTV and international fame in a year's time, I would have been like, what are you smoking right now? <laughs> right? So like the fact that I had that quantum leap, the fact that I stumbled my first time out of the gate and still ended up on the biggest show at the time of Total Request Live. To me, that was one of those things. It was like a point of no return. And I didn't always walk with faith in such a way where I felt supremely confident, like levitating through life. I still had so many insecure human thoughts, but that was like the undercurrent of it all. And knowing my purpose, knowing why I was there. Like I wasn't just there to be famous. I was there to facilitate transformational moments for people watching, to see what was possible for them potentially. Uh, for an artist to, to be seen and heard and, and validated, it was all very meaningful. I'm wondering what would have happened if you didn't have the breakdown, if you were able to land on your feet, so to speak, but just do a horrible, mediocre, less than version of what, you know, because you were so transparent. As I'm remembering the moment, there was not a moment where you were lost for words in the experience of what you were experiencing. You were very upfront and honest about it. And also, by the way, not the only talent that fell sick due to heat exhaustion and pressure. It was a hot summer, wasn't it? I want to point out that we were in Key West in June, July, and August, the three hottest months of the year. Plus, it was his first summer. It was Mandy Moore's first summer. We launched her talk show, and his first assignment was to be her co-host. I can't imagine the pressure. We would shoot several episodes a day and have to wrap because we had TRL live at 3.30. It was a grueling summer. What are some of the differences that you've made or ways that you've changed creating content? Oh, well, I am realizing just how important it is for a transparency 
on camera to happen because I think you're commenting on me being transparent off camera, but on camera, there was a lot of too cool for schoolness back in the day happening and, and not nearly the kind of transparency I have now. I always speak with the intention of being authentic and making an impact that creates a relatability that makes things really sticky. Because if, if I can see myself in you when you're sharing a story and then you make a great point about how I could potentially live my life, best believe it's going to land because we walk that journey together called relatability. So I'm being vulnerable and authentic to that part of me that also wants to be expressed. And, and that's crucial. And so, yeah, that's the thing that uh, I think has really shifted in me over time is realizing that, A, I am enough, that I don't need to be too cool. I don't need to be that guy that always has his stuff together, the guy who got invited to the party and is like always on. I find that to be a repellent feeling whenever I have it. I notice that if I don't have a consideration in my mind about how I'm going to come across, then what's occurring through me is flow. It's just flow. I'm flowing. There's, there's no interruption called editing, censoring, concern for what people are going to think about me. And so it's like I'm literally playing jazz. You know, like I remember seeing these great jazz players play live on a trip that I made to Europe and I was like front row and I was seeing just how they were going about playing with each other. And it, they weren't thinking, I need to look better than this guy. They were in the pocket. They were in the music. They truly were. And I think the same thing is true with a good conversation. The person's probably going to be like, oh, this, this person was deeply listening to me and not at all in his own head. So there's a lot of that that, that has shifted for me is, is that ability to be present, truly, like get out of my own way, stop making myself not enough. That's a lot of energy that can be allocated to truly being in a conversation. Yeah, I was going to say, and you've had a lot of career opportunities where your success comes, I would imagine, in, in those conversations. Mm -hmm. As a VJ, it's obvious where the conversations happen on camera. An artist A&R, it's just the subtle act of having those conversations. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the artist development stuff because I, I remember bringing Drake in for the first time. Uh, you know, he, at the time, was on Degrassi High and... Yeah. He was charting on MySpace, and so a friend of mine from back in Toronto said, hey, you might want to check this guy out since you're over there at MySpace Records and got Interscope as a joint venture. Maybe that's a fit. And so we brought him in, and, and I remember having a conversation with Drake back when he was promoting Degrassi at MTV. And we had a great conversation, and we walked off set, him and I, and he shared with me that his real passion was music, and he's starting to really work on his music that now we all know is, was his calling. But I remember not dismissing him, right? Like some people in my position as a VJ may not necessarily have looked at that particular moment as a moment to validate and make sure like he feels encouraged in that new pursuit. You know, maybe they thought, Oh yeah, right. Ugh. You're going to go into music, man. It's, why, why don't you stick with acting? Whatever. I didn't say any of those things. I said, great, great. I think it's important for you to go after what you really want, you know? And, and, and that was the moment where he remembered. And then years later, as I'm this A&R at MySpace records and I hit him up in the DMS of MySpace. I say, hey, what's up, man? I, I see you got a mixtape out. I'm over, I'm over at MySpace. I'm an A&R now. Maybe you can come in. And he was all about it, right? There wasn't any sort of flinching or lack of trust or whatever. He was all about it. These conversations that happen offline are the ones that inform what ends up happening online. Like people get into my oh, yeah. DMs asking me for a podcast interview, but they haven't developed a rapport or relationship or trust with me. And so what bridges that? What What actually creates the space for me to be a yes to your podcast interview? It's it's those conversations in between.
I love those. That's for me where the magic happens. As you're telling the story, I'm having a flashback to being in, in downtown studio, which is what we call the smaller studio uh, at MTV. And at the end of a Black Eyed Peas, I think they were on like some type of MTV2 special. I went down to go see uh, Seth Friedman, who you know manages uh, Will I Am, and, yep. and Will came up and was like, you know, I want to give this VJ thing a try. And I was like, okay. <laughs> He's like, no, really, I would host a show. And I'm like, okay. That's cool. Like, I know who to call. Well, yeah, and Will's a great example of somebody who's adapted over time, too. He's been brilliant and caught many waves. I remember being at MySpace and bumping into him at a party in Hollywood. And I uh, can't remember what he was on at the time. It was, it was some tech platform that he was part of the brain trust on and, and the leadership of. And he had some strong opinions about what was going on in media. And I mean, that's one of the things that I also enjoy is, is over time, these people who are at the forefront of these disruptors, these are early adapters. Um, it, it does require a 10,000 foot view on things to be able to say, I see what's going on and here's how I want to contribute. And I mean, I think that's why I have such a reverence for the founders of Clubhouse because they looked around at the landscape and they thought, you know, what, what could add some value here? And they basically adapted on what was podcasting and said, what would it be like to have an interactive podcast? I mean, I just love that, that ingenuity, that creativity, that, that willingness to to add on. And, and I think just as it pertains to like content creation, just going back to your question a couple of minutes ago, a big thing that's changed also for me is, is thinking about what would actually move us forward as a culture. And so that's been a big shift as well. I think that's crucial. Yeah. I mean, that's when social media is great when we can all basically be in a circle and hear each other's perspectives and then meet somewhere in the middle. Listen, I think that we all have work to do. We all have stuff to heal imposter syndrome, stepping into the light. I never thought that these would be something that I would be struggling with, but I'm just very, very thankful I had someone like Caduce to help me get through all of that, to help me get unblocked and land actually on creating this podcast. I'm very, very appreciative of everything he's given to me. And, and I learned from Caduce, the only way to stop feeling like an imposter is to stop thinking like one. So break the silence, separate facts from feelings, visualize success, and most importantly, develop a new script, which for me meant going all the way back to my origin story. So in the midst of being a storyteller and a content creator, I think it's a very thin line between a juicy origin story and an unprocessed bit of trauma. I think that's a very thin line and one that only you know. Like, yeah. Only I knew when it was okay for me to start talking about my breakdown at MTV when I started my career. Only I knew. You know, no therapist could have sat and said, yeah, you know what? You need to drop that video today. Like, no, that, that's yeah. not how it works. And so I think far be it for anybody to try to tell anybody what their story ought to be and, and how they ought to share it. I think it's a very sacred and, and powerful thing. And we all need to obviously be honest with ourselves. We all have certain trajectories that I have seen patterns over and over. I mean, I've coached hundreds of people around this stuff. And what I can say is that story that you have, that you're in the midst of, of sorting out and, and parsing out and figuring out, okay, what do I tell about what and what is relevant to what I'm doing now? I mean, that's, that's a beautiful journey to be on. That's it. That's like the hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell talked about. You did focus then on not being necessarily the person in the spotlight, but rather the person facilitating the person in a spotlight. 
So on some level, you, yeah, you did believe that you weren't the one that was worthy to be in the spotlight. And so you've been essentially what uh, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about as a shadow artist in her book, Big Magic. It's just like this idea of like the person who's truly the artist, but who's in the shadow of the artist because of whatever reason, whatever stuff we make up. And so that's what's powerful about this moment and you claiming that origin story is that you are on the microphone now. And that even in the midst of going through something that may have been different had you not bought into that bit of judgment, you're still here. And you've done a lot for a lot of people while getting here. So there's a lot to be said about no, I appreciate even that. the detour. Like that's the thing I, I heard the other day from a pastor, and I won't get too biblical here, but I think what he said was so applicable, which is that we may go through detours in life, but what's meant for us will eventually be for us. That to me was such a powerful thing to hear. I really appreciate the space and energy just to have that conversation about my origin story. It really is huge because it ends up connecting all the dots and often dissolving some of the things that we've hung on to so tightly, right? And then in the absence of that being the narrative, there is a whole new ball game to play and that's uncomfortable. That's really uncomfortable because then it's like, oh, well, if that's my origin, if that's my hero's journey, that means that I have no excuse. I like that I can focus on the anger instead of the story. And I'm well, sure yeah. that that anger is actually going to propel me to be more innovative and like, oh yeah, look, now I'm on Clubhouse. Like I'm not a voice artist. How about me now? If you didn't have that struggle and, and that detour, there wouldn't be the fire in your belly the way it is now. So yeah, it's interesting. I'm like echoing what I shared earlier that I've finally received about my breakdown earlier in my career. Yeah, I'm seeing that you're coming around to yours, which is really powerful. And I know that I got it right. I know that for sure. Every single one of my TRL alumni are mm. killing it, by mm. the way, in culture mm. and making big game-changing moves. And I'm so proud of you. Mm. And thank you for just, you know, being here for me, obviously in this podcast hour, but for the many, many years. I appreciate you. This is great. And uh, I really do believe in you. And, and I think that for everybody listening who might be a behind the scenes person or, or identify as a behind the scenes person, and yet is getting the tap, getting the calling to do more, you're such an example of what's possible. I like that. I appreciate that. I'll take that. If someone has been listening to this and they feel that you might be in a position to help them find footing or centering in their voice, what are the ways they can reach out to you? And who might that person be? What might they be? Well, they're the, they're the founder that has found a desire to get out in front of what they're doing and truly be that personalization, that voice, that story that people can stick their teeth into in a deeper way to really relate to the thing, the product, the service in a deeper way and to buy into that origin story, that authentic founder that they are. And they just haven't had the reps. They just haven't gotten out there and, and really felt their complete power and, and that they are ready to step into that and explore what their voice can actually impact beyond what they thought. And so I love the work that, that we do over at the Media Mastery Academy because it's, it's truly unlocking something that's always been there. It's just, can we provide a bridge in order to make it easier? And so, yeah, it's for the person that realizes the value of doing things in community and being supported and is ready to receive that support. And is this going to continue? Is this something that's happening now only digital? There's a big focus on video because we're sort of forced to be in front of video. I guess my question is, is video going away? And No, you know, video's not going away. Yeah. Even though Clubhouse is really popping right now, I don't think video is going away. People are always going to want to see the person and, and how their energy is. And I mean, I remember the radio 
era back in the day. And there's a lot of value in that being able to trigger the imagination and see what that person could be like as they're talking. But video has gotten such a foothold. It's still the thing that converts more than anything. I think there's still probably a tendency for people to hear somebody great on Clubhouse, skip over to their Instagram, check out one of their videos, and then buy in altogether. I think that's probably yeah. the sequence now. And that's the invitation for everybody right now is to consider what is the medium that will facilitate that next breakthrough. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, I love you. Thank you for spending time with us today. By the way, I saw a, a clip that you shared the other day, and I know we're wrapping up, but I just want to really, really echo something that I saw, which is so valuable that you shared on your Instagram story. You were literally inside the guts of LinkedIn, pulling jobs that were available and, and amplifying those availabilities to people who might really want those jobs. And I just thought, wow, I've never, I've literally never seen someone on Instagram making a point of being essentially someone's agent and being like, I love it. It's just, it was, it was so fun. I got this email and it's like, here's five jobs. And I'm like, I own my own company. I can never apply for these jobs. But <laughs> hey, you know what? I would be so lucky that five of my friends should fill five of these jobs. Mm -hmm. I should go tell my network. If there's anything I know, I know that I surround myself with talent. Well, it says a lot. You make the time and the content was sharp. It was really well produced. It was like a, a game show version of who wants this job? Well, I'm glad that connects with you. I hope that I can help people find jobs. I actually love that. LinkedIn is one of my favorite places to be. So if you are listening to this, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I love having conversations there. Thank you much for your time. And until next week, you've been listening to I Have a Podcast with Vinny Podestivo. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please find us at IHaveAPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll see you next week.